Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Scott Hamilton, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Well, thank you so much for having me as part of your podcast. I really appreciate it. You're an amazing story. Well, man, if, if I am, I can't even imagine the adjectives that we will need as we go through this story to describe you, where you are, and how you got here. For the uh, three human beings alive who don't know the name Scott Hamilton, have never heard of what you've achieved or where you are today in your life, give us, give us a snapshot of what you're up to today, Scott. You know, um, <laughs> I am trying to <clears throat> um, build a foundation that will fund um, the future of, of cancer treatment options. I'm trying to take um, an industry I love dearly, um, the skating industry, and turn it around back to its glory days as a non-skater now. Um, I'm raising four beautiful, healthy kids from two different um, countries hmm. uh, to be game changers in this world. And and I'm just trying to live long enough to enjoy a beautiful retirement with my amazing wife. It's been a remarkable story to this point. And it's been said, Scott, that all great people, all of us, in fact, have stories, just usually not the stories we tell the world. Your story has been told to the world, but today we get to share it with our Live Inspired world. And I'm so thrilled and fired up to do exactly that. For for those who don't know, tell us where you're from originally. Um, I was born in Toledo, Ohio, and adopted at six weeks of age by a couple of school teachers in Bowling Green, Ohio, just about 12 miles south. You know, out of curiosity, when did you first find out that you were adopted? Uh, As soon as I was old enough to understand. And how did that sit? It was great, you know, because my mom um, was a very nurturing soul. And she wanted a big family. It's just that she would carry a child to term and the, the baby wouldn't survive um, childbirth for whatever reason. She just it wasn't meant to be. So she uh, adopted me first and then my brother second. And I um, always I felt chosen. You yeah. know, I just felt like we wanted desperately to have a boy and you're our first boy. And we wanted desperately to have a, you know, a big family. And, you know, you're right there in the middle on the other two. And so, you know, being adopted was always never about being unwanted. It was always about being chosen. I I love the reframe and the truth behind it. Uh, Scott, you, you grew up in Toledo. You uh, are well, Bowling Green. I'm sorry. Born in Toledo. I only spent six weeks there. I escaped. You escaped man (laughs) into downtown Bowling Green. You, uh, you have an interesting childhood. It's a, you had a few challenges growing up. Can you talk a little bit about them? Well, I was always little. You know, I was always kind of undersized. It was just uh, about the time I turned four um, that they realized that um, I had some some sort of health problems. So I went from hospital to hospital to hospital to hospital. And over four years, I started at Bowling Green at Wood County Hospital, and then I ended up with Toledo, and then um, Ann Arbor at the University of Michigan Children's Hospital, and then I ended up at Boston Children's, which mm-hmm. is the, kind of the granddaddy of them all. And... Um, and I was never diagnosed in any of those places. You know, it was the early 60s, and it was all kind of a guess anyway. You know, they didn't really know what was going on back then because 
healthcare isn't what it is today. And so they just sort of sent me home and they told my parents that they needed to um, take a day off and recharge their batteries. And so Bowling Green State University had just built uh, a nice skating rink and um, they just thought it would be a really great thing if <clears throat> I went and spent a day um, skating with some other kids and my parents could have a morning off. So this kid that has some challenges growing and being as large as everybody else ends up on a skating rink with these other kids. Do you remember that day, Scott? Oh, yeah. You know, I had a, because I wouldn't drink this supplement that I needed, yes. <clears throat> which yes. tasted like chalk, and I refused, Yes. They, uh, we came to a really good compromise where they put a tube up through my nose down my esophagus, and then they would just give me the, the supplement that way. And so when I arrived at the rink the first day, I had a nose tube coming out of my nose, mm. taped to my cheek, and the rest of the tube was um, over my ear. And so, you know, obviously I was a little different than the rest of the kids at the, at the skating school. And, I, you know, for me, I was just excited to be with well kids. And um, for those kids, you know, they, they just were looking at me like I had three heads. Yes. Did you know you had three heads back then or were you? Uh, you know, I, I always felt because my mom made me feel that way that I was, you know, I was special. And yes. so I just felt like whatever differences I had, I was like any other kid in so many ways. I just, um, I just, you know, wasn't as big as the other kids. I wasn't as athletic as the other kids. And I was, um, you know, struggling to, you know, kind of make it in this world. You know, I had so many challenges. That first day when you're on the ice, did you know right away, gosh, I, not only do I love this, I'm, I, I, may, I may even have a gift. Well, I mean, you know, when you go around and you're hanging out of the wall and then you let go and you're hanging on the wall and you let go, pretty soon you're you're skating around, you know, without hanging out of the wall. Well, speak, it's all speak about for yourself, man. I'm, you know? I'm still hanging out of the wall and I'm ah, 40 years old. Because you haven't done it enough or you haven't been to the skating academy because we'll teach you how to skate. But um, it's just one of those things where the more you do something, the easier it gets. You know, we all forget that we learned how to walk, you know. And uh, so... You know, skating is very much the same thing. You know, even to this day, I don't skate very much. But when I get on the ice to teach or skate with my son, you know, we just, I just get on like it's no big deal. You know, you just dive in. So back then, you know, once I started skating and getting all the way around, I realized that I could, you know, skate as well as the well kids. And then pretty soon I was skating as well as the best athletes in my grade. And, you know, that first taste of self-esteem is something that you can never really forget, you know, because I always felt you know, less than or, you know, not quite as good as the other kids because I wasn't. And now I felt like I was sort of on equal footing, um, no pun intended. But, no, yeah. uh, you know, I, I just felt like, wow, I, I, I have, I can do something. I, I, you know, and I was doing gymnastics a little bit as well, and they liked me there because I was little and I could, you know, I was fearless. And yes. So, you know, but it was the skating thing that really gave me identity. So this identity as a skater, you're as good as anybody else on that ice. Tell me about the promotion as you begin really escalating your entire career. Well, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, skating is all about falling down and getting up, you know. So <clears throat> the quicker you can do that, the better you can get on to, you know, the rest of it. And, and you know, and, and honestly, that kind of that metaphor of falling down and getting up is something that is really help me get through life. You know, it, it's just one of those things, okay, I got knocked down, just get up. You know, it's no big deal. 
um, you know, in, in writing this book um, that uh, is coming out tomorrow, uh, you know, I, I, I talk about, I've done the math, and over the 36 years of me actively participating in skating, um, I estimate that I fell down 41,600 times. And um, so, you, you know, you do that and you go, wow, I got up 41,600 times. And, um, you know, it's just really awesome to think about, well, then you have this episode in your life and you just get up. And you have this episode in your life and you get up. So you're, you're and I was able to be much more resilient yes. when, you know, big stuff came. Scott, you got up 41,600 times. Why do you think so many folks don't get up that second time? What, what is it that we don't have that maybe this little kid did that separates the two? Well, I think you have it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's like one of these things where, you know, um, you, we try to shield our kids from failure. We just don't want them to be upset. We don't want them to feel like they lost or that, you know, that, that they did something wrong or that, you know, life ever has to give them any kind of hardship or any knockdown. But there, that's nothing further from the truth. You know, I, mean, I think, you know, like my youngest son just, you know, started playing hockey and he lost his first two games and he was really upset. And I go, so what did you learn? And he goes, well, I, I learned that, you know, I've got to get better stick handling. I've got to get my shot. It's got to be a little bit more powerful. I've got to get more into the speed of the game, and I probably could skate a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I go, if you won, what would you have learned? Mm-hmm. And he said, I don't know. <laughs> and that's the answer. Yes. Is you learn. You learn from failure. You learn, you know, where your weaknesses are. You learn where you need to get stronger. You learn where, you know, your, your deficiency are, whether you're in the wrong thing altogether. If I went out and I wanted to play basketball, my goodness, you know, I'm five foot nothing. I, I'd go out and I wouldn't be able to do anything. So, right. okay, next, what, what, other, what other things can I do? <laughs> you know, I'm never going to be president of the United States. I'm never going to be an NBA basketball player. I'm never going to play football. I'm never, well, what, what, what are my skill sets? What can I do with my physical type? And, and how can I apply um, you know, whatever my personality is to something where I could be successful. And then you start chipping away at, you know, all the things it takes to get to the promised land. And that comes out of a mountain of failure. Mm. If, if success was really, you know, kind of looked upon as a recipe, the biggest, the biggest single ingredient would be failure. And yet we try to avoid it at all costs. That's why we have participation trophies. Mm-hmm. Look, we didn't win a game, but I got this. <laughs> you know, it's, that right. doesn't, that's not the way it works when you're on your own as an adult in the free world. You know, you got to get out there and make your place and understand that, you know, it may, some days are going to be worse than others and some are going to be better than others. But it's all about the journey. And, you know, you get knocked down, you get up, and you, you, you figure out what you need to do. And, and, again, you know, when I tell my kids today, to this day, I go, what's the greatest strength? And they'll answer me almost instantaneously, lack of weakness. Mm. I go, so chip away. You know, you're a diamond that just got pulled out of the ground. What do you got to do? I got to sparkle. All right, well, you got to do that by chipping away here, chipping away there, cleaning up this, you know, and pretty soon, you know, you've got amazing value. But it, it's not just because we're born that we're winners or born that yes. we're going to be successful or born and we're going to have these great lives. It's No, it's you got to get used to all the stuff that life throws at us. And a big part of that is, you know, understanding that failure is just part of the process. And, 
it's over as soon as it's over. Scott, you advance forward through the early years of skating, eventually becoming uh, fairly significant and successful on the national level. But but you your edges on that diamond that you are weren't fully polished yet. And uh, I've heard a story about you that part of what triggered your success was another failure, not yours, but actually your mother's. Can can you uh, first tell us a little bit about your mom? And then talk about a diagnosis that shows up as you're, as you're learning how to become the best version of yourself on the ice. Well, my mom was always the one that slept in the room when I was sick all those years. My mom was always the one that, um, she was kind of the point person. My dad was a very studious, I, when I was really little, I'd, my dad wore a bow tie to school, so I wanted to wear a bow tie to kindergarten, you know, I thought all that stuff was really cool. <laughs> so I want to be just like my dad, but my mom was always the one I'd cuddle up with, my mom was always the one that. I felt most comfortable with, and so she'd always go with me to, you know, skate. She was the test chairman in the skating club. She did everything she could. You know, she worked really hard, mm-hmm. but she, you know, took on extra work to keep me in skating, and, and you know, she she was very sacrificial. She didn't have any new clothes. She didn't have any, you know, any, you know, she had you know, really, when we talk about self-esteem, you know, she really suffered, you know, because she just um, was so sacrificial. So, um you know, I was last in my first nationals. I fell five times in my long program, which I never did in practice, by the way. It was a pure choke. Mm. And then the next year I went, I was ninth again out of ten. The next year I went up to juniors, and I was seventh out of nine. And then um, after that, seventh out of nine, I mean, I'm not really doing anything in skating that's really noteworthy. My mom brings us all together, and she says, um, I was just diagnosed with a, a, an illness called cancer. Mm. And I'd heard of it, but I didn't really know what it was. And so she just said, I'm going to be going through some treatments. And, um, you know, I'm probably going to have to have some surgery. And I'm going to need some help around the house. And she told me that basically uh, she looked at me and she said, you, mister, we're broke. We have no nothing left. and We're almost bankrupt. So you're gonna, we're going to put you through your last year in skating. And then you can go to Bowling Green next year. We're both professors, so it'll be basically free. And you'll get a college education and get on with your life. And I said, okay. But when I, I, I had that last year to skate, I kind of pushed all my chips into the middle of the table. I ended up winning junior nationals that year. And then the next year, um, I was given an opportunity to skate again because um, I won junior nationals. A sponsor came forward and a coach I wanted to coach me. So I got a second life in skating. The problem was the trifecta. The trifecta is I, um, I'm sponsored now. Um, I don't have any financial worries to worry, you know, think about. I turn 18 and I got my own apartment. Um, that's the trifecta. It doesn't get any worse than that. Mm-hmm. So I was um, not focused. I was, you know, I had no ability to look after myself. I'd show up some days, some days I wouldn't. And I came in ninth at that nationals my first year on seniors. And it was humiliating. And then um, about three months later, uh, my mother... Um, passed from her cancer she lost her battle and and man when you lose the center of the universe it's like now what and I, I knew about you know friends that had gotten pretty self-destructive you know they had lost in their families I didn't really think that would be anything that would make her proud of me so I decided I didn't really want to go in that direction so mm-hmm. I just took her to the ice with me every single day and I decided that I was going to be the person she thought I could be and I was going to honor in everything that I do and so I've worked really hard, <clears throat> excuse me, to be the skater she always dreamed I could be. I mean, I never had any delusions that I'd ever go to 
you know, um, international competitions. And, you know, then I go to the Olympics. And I never had any delusions that, you know, I was ever going to be, you know, Olympic-level talent. And then I'm fifth in Lake Placid, and then I go the next four years undefeated winning four world championships. And then I get a gold medal at the next Olympics. It's like, what is what in the world? <laughs> I mean, what in... Yes. What in the, as you know, my our friend Cheryl says, "What in the what? What what? You know, what is going on here?" And uh, it was just, you know, the Lord was in it every step of the way, and and um, you know, I I I was given the strength I needed. I was given um, the fortitude. I was given the resilience. I was given um, some you know strokes of luck mm. every now and then. But mm-hmm. you know, to be able to stay that course, to stay focused, and to try to rise up each year and, and, you know, I mean, to win it once is hard to win it a second time is really hard to win it a third time is basically impossible. And then try winning it four. you know, and I'm not saying I'm just to illustrate yes. how hard that is. The last person that did it before me did it two years before I was born mm. and then no one's done it since. That's how ridiculous that is. And, you know, I, I just did my part in showing up every day and working really hard, but there was a lot of um, divine intervention in there <laughs> at times, and my mom fueled the whole thing because, you know, I just, whenever I felt like not showing up or quitting in the end of a long program run-through, I would think of her, and I would just find a way to get through to the end and build strength. Scott, did your mom, and I know you can't speak for her, but you can imagine her mind and her heart, did she see her little boy as an Olympian, and did she did she see that little boy on the top of a platform with a flag being raised? Maybe when she was in the throes of chemo and and um, pain medication, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Right. Um, on a foggy you know, I think day. she did. You know, I think all moms, you know, would like to think that their kids are really special and that they're going to do remarkable things. You know, I there was n- none of that really. Um, None of that really computed with me. I was just trying to, you know, keep moving forward. You know, at my first nationals where I came in dead last, we're at an after party. Gordy McKellen won his first national title that year. I'm dead last in the lowest event, right? <laughs> Fell five times. I couldn't be any worse off, right? And I'm sitting around a couple kids my age, and, um, uh, you know, they, they, uh, you know, they go, hey, go get me a beer. I mean, we're like 14 years old. And he goes, go get me a beer. And I go, get one yourself. I mean, they're right there. And he goes, no, 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 you get it. I've got something to lose. You don't. Mm. Okay. There's your <laughs> Write place. that one down on your soul. <laughs> yes. So I'm a loser. The other guy wasn't a loser. So losers do things that losers do. And I thought, no, 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 no. No, i got to work this thing out. And it was all these little bricks in the foundation of failure and um, devastation and hurt that I was able to build something strong on top of all that because I wasn't afraid of losing um, because I'd I'd done that so many times. I was really intent upon um, doing something more. And all I could do was get better. You know, I, I couldn't control what anybody else was doing. All I could do is get better, and I, I'd have to make easy choices. You know, there was a, a young skater um, who I saw who had more talent in his little finger than I had, did in my whole body. And, like, my whole body, yes. like, from the time I was born to my death, 
had more talent in his little finger than all of me, right? And I knew I'd never be able to beat him. And then one morning I, I heard that um, this one skater decided he liked to smoke pot. And I was like, today could be the greatest day of my life because now I know I can outwork this guy. And now I know I can catch him. And now I know that I can get past him. And now I know that I can set it up my training and the way I compete to the point where he'll never be able to beat me because he was incapable of making an easy choice. Scott, take me through what it's like to uh, walk onto a platform with thousands in an auditorium to receive some flowers, to receive a medal, to watch your flag be raised, and to hear the anthem. Just You're talking about the Olympics? I am, man. Take me, take me back through that experience. Oh, man. It was such a relief because <laughs> I hadn't lost a competition in, in like four years, so it would be really kind of a devastation to lose this one, <laughs> you know? Mm. It's all the same guys. I'm just competing against the same guys. So if I let them in... Now, after all these years, it's kind of a massive failure. So there's a little bit of a relief standing on that podium. There was a great deal of pride that I got to do this for my country. You know, world championships, all that stuff are, you know, you represent your country, but you're more, it's more an individual achievement where Mm -hmm. the Olympics is really a, a national achievement. You know, you do this for your country. And so when the anthem started and the medals around my neck, I just started thinking about, everything and it was honestly a pure mixture of every emotion i had in my in my soul mm. it was you know it was i was really happy that i'd done this i this dream i never thought of dreaming it was sadness that it was over it was fear of what do i do now um it was um that loss of uh i, I don't know who i am now after all these years I, I don't really know who i am now that this is over and then there's the guilt of um, I'm the only one standing up there and, and thinking of how many people played a part in this moment. Mm-hmm. And there, I'm the only one standing here. It just seems so unfair. And so, you know, it was everything, you know. But the main thing was looking over the edge of the podium, and I just felt like I was standing on a cliff because mm. I didn't know what was next. Every day, every day for 16 years was a step forward in this direction, and now it's over. <laughs> what do I do now? Well, man, it's kind of like a strange sensation of being completely having the best day of your life and not having any idea who you were now. You grew wings because you got off the podium and uh, you flew forward into life. You start skating professionally. You're you're with one uh, one group, mm-hmm. and for various reasons that uh, that journey comes to an end. Kind of talk talk us through briefly that aspect of your life. You know, it it was um, the only job I could get. Um, you know, I, I had, like, offers, and there were two ice shows back then. There was Disney, um, which is mostly, it's, it's a skating show, and there's a lot of really good and talented skaters in there, but it's mostly about the Disney brand. And I really wanted to be a skater, and I really wanted to have, you know, kind of my own identity. And, and you know, I, I always thought all my heroes were musicians that built an audience. So my mentality was, I'm going to build an audience. I, I, I'm either naive, mm-hmm. stupid, or, you know, kind of putting me in a position where I was now accountable to every single performance, right? So I joined the Ice Capades, and I really loved the president of Ice Capades. He told me that it's a good thing I won the Olympic gold medal because I'm too short to be in the chorus line. <laughs> so, um, you know, he was a real, you know, solid business guy, and he was really, you know, tough. And 
And I really admired him, right? And um, I just guaranteed him I'd never miss a show or a press call. And so he said, yeah, we'll see, because all you Olympic guys, you end up partying and you miss shows and you get injured. And we're always having to give people our money back. And, you know, it's just a nightmare having you guys. But we need you. But it's, you know, it's just a lot of work. And I go, no, 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 I'll be a model, perfect employee. So for two years, not only did I never miss a show, I would step in for other skaters that were injured or other stars of other companies that were unable to perform. I'd step in for them, and I would, you know, do more than I was, you know, I told them I'd do. And so at the end of two years, you know, I had a third-year option, and this uh, president's name was Dick Palmer. He came to me, and he just said, good job, congratulations. You did everything you said you were going to do. I never thought it was possible. And then he said, we're going through a sale, and the new owner doesn't want male skaters. (laughs) And so, like, I did everything as well as it could be done, probably better than most, and I'm being let go because I wasn't a woman. <laughs> yes. And I always joke in my speeches, it's like, there, you know, sexual discrimination yes. is alive and well, <laughs> you know, in, in our country. And um, so, I, you know, I had a great manager. Um, his name was Bob Kane. He was, you know, to this day, one of the greatest friends anyone could ever ask for. He's, he's like the greatest guy in the world, and he just said, you know, we're thinking about getting into the touring business at IMG. Do you want to help us start a tour? And I said, let me check my schedule. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so we we built Stars on Ice, and Stars on Ice is still out there. It went from being um, a few cities the first year to kind of beta tested to being 30, and then it went to 60, and then it went to Canada, and then it went to now it's most of the shows are in Japan and Canada and there's a few left in the United States because the market in the United States has diminished a little bit because American skaters aren't winning like they used to. Mm-hmm. And um, and then in Canada, it's gigantic. So Stars and Ice is still going. And, um, you know, I, I was, I've been away from Stars and Ice longer than I was in it now. So it's kind of a good feeling knowing that um, this little show that we started became a big show and to this day still exists. Well, it's something you ought to be extraordinarily proud of. I understand that you never missed a performance on that tour either. And then that changed, Scott. This is the first time you're going to get uh, news, a diagnosis that's going to really alter the course of your life. It's, it's going to put you back on that podium, staring down into the, the cliff. So can, can, can you explain to me and share with us what happened? Well, I, you know, I was going through and um, I was really unsettled. There, you know, my life just felt like, you know, the tail was wagging the dog. You know, I'd had this big career. And I honestly, you know, I was talking to a friend who's um, a country singer the other night, and I said, man, I just realized I felt more comfortable in front of 17,000 people than I did one. Mm-hmm. And I knew something was wrong. And, and then I started having this abdominal pain. And, and you know, my, I was way out of balance. I just worked, worked, worked. This was my 13th year as a professional. And, and I was just, you know, it was just too much. And I was just killing myself. And so um, I decided 50 cities into a 60-city tour of not even being able to stand up straight most of the time, <laughs> which isn't good for a figure skater, by no, the way. No, it seems pretty lousy, man. Yeah, it's kind of rough. So um, I went into an emergency room, and a uh, doctor there, Dr. John Carroll, walked me through a mm. couple tests and then repeated the tests. And he just sat me down. And he goes, you know, you have a mass. <laughs> and I started laughing because nobody's ever used the word mass in description of me before. <laughs> And um, 
He goes, no, 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 this is serious. And I, I go, what's going on? He goes, it's either benign, malignant, or something else. And I realized in that moment that almost 20 years, you know, mm-hmm. 20 years, two months of losing, you know, in, in two months it'll be 20 years to the day that I lost my mom. I'm being diagnosed with cancer. And um, the fear was extraordinary. I mean, it was just like, oh, my goodness, I couldn't breathe. And, and I don't, you know, I, I, in remembering that, I don't know if it was, you know, a minute, five seconds, a nanosecond, I have no idea. But that fear was instantly replaced with a sense of um, courage <laughs> and determination and clarity of mission. And uh, let's get this party started. You know, it just, I never knew that I had that within me. You know, I'd, I'd stood up in very stressful situations before, but I didn't know that when I'm faced with Life a life or death situation that I just say, all right, let's go. Let's get this thing going. Let's go. Let's go. It's a process. Let's get this, you know, let's get this started. Scott, you, you have enough friends and you've been around the block long enough to experience life and death with these friends. When they get that diagnosis, and I'm talking not only to your friends, but to those of us listening right now who are facing fear and they're on the edge and they're looking into the abyss and they have no idea how they're going to take the next step forward. You were able to this this one time. How do you encourage the rest of us to, to also, likewise, take our next step forward? You know, I learned so much in my, <clears throat> in my cancer um, journey. Um, I learned that um, it's a process. I learned that um, everything is, can be managed, you know, whether it be uh, <clears throat> side effects of chemotherapy or mm-hmm. whatever. You know, there, it, you know, chemo is like a marathon, you know, there is a finish line, and you're going to get to it, and, you know, hopefully the chemo is successful and it took the cancer away, and then there's probably going to be a surgery after that to <clears throat> clean up the mess that, <clears throat> excuse me, the chemo caused. And then, it, and then it's just getting back to life, you know. And I just, you know, I, I participated in everything joyfully. And I say that, you know, I didn't always feel good, yes. but I really wanted to not remember my cancer, chemo, surgery journey with, um, you know, bad feelings, sad feelings, uh, fear. I really wanted it to be something where I could look back on it and I could remember laughter. I could remember, um, you know, support, lighthearted confidence. Um, I didn't want it to be as heavy gigantic burden that was going to um, crush me. So, uh, you know, my nurse got it right away. She, she treated me like a pediatric patient. She you know, <laughs> decorated my chemo bags right. and gave me SpongeBob and Scooby-Doo Band-Aids. And I had banana popsicles in my refrigerator. And it was just like, this is the stuff right here. You know, <laughs> right. I, I'm able to go through this. And, yeah, I didn't always feel good, but... I always made sure that there was some laughter in my day mm. and that there was some, um, that life, you know, whatever our minutes are, we're able to fill them with good stuff and we're able to, um, you know, enjoy um, each day in some way, shape, or form. And by the time I got to round three, I wanted to quit because I just, you know, I, I started feeling sorry for myself. But you know, I had to take a step back, and I had to think, oh, no, 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 that's the cancer trying to trick me into quitting, right? It's lost a battle, and its last-ditch attempt is trying to get me to quit. And um, I got one round of five days left, you 
know, they're eight-hour infusions, five mm. days of those left, and I'm done. I can do that. So I just stuck my chest out and got back to work, and sure enough, after the chemo was done, my tumor went from twice the size of a grapefruit to about the size of a golf ball, and then six weeks later, they did the surgery, and they removed everything and went through all the lymph to make sure I was cancer-free, and then it was, you know, back to life with this, you know, scar that took up about a third of my my body. <laughs> yes, I look forward to seeing that sometime. Surgery. I call it filet au dwarf, <laughs> and, um, yes. you know, it, it was just one of those things where I, I was so scared, and I'm laying in the operating room, and, and they they go, what's wrong? And I go, have you guys ever done one of these before? And they go, yeah, we've done seven this month. And I go, oh, okay. Yeah, how about uh, it? We're good. Hey, <laughs> Let's go. Hey, Brother Hamilton, how, how important, not only for you, but for all of us, do you think mindset is, whether it's a diagnosis of cancer or it's challenges at home or it's difficulties in our country or the, the Olympics is beginning, challenges on the field of life, how important is our mindset? I think it's extremely important. You know, I was um, talking with a dear friend this morning um, who just has had it, you know, with just all the problems of this world and, um, you know, just wants out. Mm. And I, you know, I said, do what I do. <laughs> I go, I don't, I don't really want to watch the 24-hour news cycle. I want to be informed, but I don't want to con- just con- yes. you know, constantly be submerged or, you know, immersed in this, um, this stuff that I have no control over, nor could I change. All I can do is fix my little corner of the world, and if it emanates, then so be it. But, you know, i gotta, I got to work because right now I have very tangible things. I can build a cancer foundation. Um, I can, you know, try to raise enough money to fund research that's going to change everything. And then maybe I can spare another 18-year-old boy the heartache from losing his mom, you know. And all this stuff, you know, that I just want to just work on. And so, you know, I don't spend a lot of time on social media because I think it's a time suck and it's a waste of you know, life. Yes. And I don't want to do, you know, 24-hour news cycle. Uh, I'll get some information, but then I'll step away. I want to love on my kids. I want to um, enjoy myself and my life, and I want to enjoy my days, you know. And, and um, man, my heart hurts for all the people that have been devastated by everything that's going on in this world. But, um, you know, all I can do is, is, you know, just go straight to the Lord with all my problems and, and um, you know, hope that um, answers come. And in the meantime, I, you know, I just want to, being you know, positive, be light in, in my little corner of the world and, and hopefully make a difference. You, you've, you've been through this round of cancer. You have overcome it, and it's come back uh, with a vengeance a few times. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, come on. Yes. You know, I, I had my chemo, I had my surgery and everything, and then, you know, about, um, I guess it was seven years later, uh, my vision was way off. My energy was, I couldn't get out of bed in the morning. It was, you know, everything was just off. You know, I decided to step away from skating, and I thought I was just some sort of depression. Yes. But then I go in, and they said, you don't have any testosterone in your body. It's like, trace them out. So I go, no wonder I don't feel like getting out of bed. And they go, we can treat you topically, and you'll be fine. I go, don't you want to know what's going on? And they go, we know what's going on. Just It's probably, you know, from everything you went through with your testicular cancer. It's like, no, 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 no. So I went to Cleveland, <laughs> um, and I said, I need answers. And we sat down, we talked about it. They put me in for a uh, head scan, an MRI, and they came back, and they go, you have a brain tumor. Mm. And I was like, no way. 
I did my time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I did cancer. I get a pass now, right? Don't I don't get more health stuff. You know, and they go, no, no, no. You've got to deal with this. So for a week, they didn't know what it was. They finally had to go into the top of my head. Um, it's right in my optic chasm. Mm. Um, so they had to go through the, my head um, to get a piece of this tumor, and then they found out that it's a craniopharyngioma. And check this out. <laughs> Craniopharyngiomas right now, today, because they have the ability to detect them, are usually found early in a child's life due to a low, lack of growth and development. Mm. How's that? Okay. I wonder what that's tied to. All uh, questions will be answered if you live long enough. Yes. So, you know, it, it just turns into this thing where it must have been what I had as a child. I don't know why, the, you know, this stopped um, doing its mischief. I was born with this tumor. Uh, but now, you know, I went in, I had gamma knife radiation, which is a really interesting process. And then, um, and then I went back to life. They were able to nuke the tumor shrink it back, and then it went uh, went away, and then seven years, or, yeah, um, six years later it came back, and then they did surgery, and then six years later it's back. And um, so I'm just sort of trying to do everything I can, um, <clears throat> listening to the little whisperings I hear yes. in my ear. You know, it's not, you know, part of the brain tumor. It's just, you know, trying to <laughs> stay in tune with, intuition and where I feel like I'd be best served. And I, this one, I didn't want to knee-jerk go after something, so I just decided to listen to my, my, my inner thoughts, which were get strong and uh, don't give this thing anything it wants. So I gave up sugar, gave up pretty much everything that would feed the tumor, like bad food choices, um, you know, I just drink water, like high pH water, because mm-hmm. cancer doesn't like a um, an alkaline environment. And I'm just doing, you know, again, no sugar. If I can't, if I can take away its fuel, then that's a good deal. And then, you know, it's been a miraculous journey because I was diagnosed um, a year ago, August, and as of last February, uh, the tumor has started to shrink, mm. and these tumors. Don't, don't shrink. shrink. So God gets all the glory on this one. Um, modern medicine doesn't get anything. I give mm. it all to God. And, and you know, it's amazing when I don't know why, you know, my prayers were answered when others weren't. I don't know why I've been given this platform. I don't know what I'm to do next. So I just, you know, keep trying to work hard to make a difference in the cancer community so that new, innovative, less toxic and harmful uh, treatment options will rise to the surface. You mentioned earlier, Scott, that you sometimes felt more comfortable in front of 15,000 than one. Uh, you didn't date a whole lot, but I, I, you know, I've I've watched and read. I think just about everything you've said and uh, and written in your past. So I, I'm a stalker. Okay, you should stay at arm's length from Elyria at all times. <laughs> Finally, I've got one. You got one, man. Great. I'm a huge awesome. fan. Thanks. But I, I, I in, in one of the uh, articles I read, you kind of shared your uh, your your dating profile. So if, if you Scott Hamilton were to seek a loved one, uh, share with me and share with my friends listening on the Live Inspired podcast what that that wanted ad may sound like. Oh, you mean the the uh, the uh, personal ad? Yeah, man, give me the personal ad. No, oh, it's a short, bald, half neutered, chemoed, radiated, surgically repaired, retired male figure skater of unknown ethnic origin, 
seeks a beautiful, intelligent woman for long walks, laughter, and an interest in my hobby for collecting life-threatening illness. Well, you know, somehow, <laughs> somehow, not only did you shoot that off, off real quick at random, you found that person, you found that woman, yeah. and I, I wanted to just, just kind of let you brag on your wife and uh, your family for a little bit. Tell, tell me about her. Well, um, <clears throat> I, you know, I, I decided that I was, you know, after my cancer, I just needed to kind of get healed. Uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. So I kind of went away, and I went to the one place where I felt like I could be neglected, alone, um, and allowed to kind of isolate myself, and that's Los Angeles, California. Worked like a charm. So <laughs> I'm in L.A. on the off-season. I'd do the tour, and then I'd go L.A., and I'd hang out and play golf and, you know, just kind of chill. Made some good friends out there. That was nice. Um, but I just didn't really feel like... You know, I, I knew something was broken in, broken in me, and so I just decided to step away, um, you know, as much as I could. And, and um, so for the next, you know, two years, you know, I was sort of, I don't know, I was unsettled. Um, and then I was backstage um, at a Memphis show, and uh, one of our, you know, Tony Thomas, who's a board member of St. Jude, his dad mm-hmm. was the founder of St. Jude, he had a couple guests. Um, that came to the show um, that night, and I was just curious on who Tony's guests were. So I went up and I, was t- I talked to this girl for a few minutes that was Tony's guest. And I thought, wow, I guess I'm ready to get off the bench. But I never thought I'd see her again. It was just like, okay, if I could you know, have interest in somebody like this, and I didn't want to, obviously, if this is Tony's date, I didn't want to be, you know, anything <laughs> right. appropriate. Right, that's I just sort of thought, okay, I'm, I'm kind of more ready to kind of get off the bench. And then a few months later, I'm playing golf with Tony, and I, I, she came up, you know, who's this girl? And he said, it's funny you should ask about her. She's moving to L.A., I think, this week. It's like, what? And so I asked him for her number. I go to a barbecue right after that golf match, and the, this caddy at uh, the golf club where I played for three years, um, you know, he's one of my favorite people. He's just fun and wild and crazy. He goes, hey, my cousin was supposed to come to the barbecue tonight, made other plans. And I go, who's your cousin? He goes, that girl you met in Memphis, Tracy. I go, that's mm-hmm. your cousin? He goes, yeah, our moms are sisters. And it's like, and you didn't introduce me? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, Tracy and I got, we went out on our first date, I guess about three weeks later, and we've been together ever since. You have some children together. Yeah, we, um, these, these it was really funny. Gonna... We had our first child nine months and two days after we got married. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we that'll be, that'll family, be the next we podcast. Our, you know, we'll have our listeners tune in for that one. We got to get going. We got to get, you know, got to get going. Yes. So we had our first child, a son, um, born right after we got married, eight, nine months and two days. And then um, I had my brain tumor, which stopped all pituitary function. So now I have hormonal problems plus a testicular cancer problems, and it's like, uh-oh. And so I self-injected six times for two years, six times a week for two years, and then nothing. We Finally, I just said, we've got to give this up. If, you know, the Lord wants us to have another child, we will. And it was about two months after that that um, we found out we're, we have another child on the way, and um, Max was born. Mm. Um, and it was really a funny story came out with, you know, bright red hair. <clears throat> and it was like, um, okay, <laughs> I did not see that one coming. And, you know, I was trying to, like, process it, and all of a sudden I realized that 
you know, being adopted, I have no idea what my you know heritage of is. Of course. Or, you know. And I looked down, I go, I'm Irish. I'm <laughs> Irish. I now know that I'm Irish. <laughs> we share that cross together, man. <laughs> Scott O'Hamilton and John O'Leary. Mm, yeah, there you go. I know a John O'Leary. Well, now you know another one. And uh, <laughs> Scott, I, two questions for you as we get ready to, to switch, switch gears into the, the Live Inspired 7. The first question is this. When people leave the rink, when people leave your auditorium, when people finish your book, what is one thing that you hope is different or elevated or renewed within them? I, you know, hope. You know, there's hope for a brighter day. You know, the grade eight was, a you know, how to be more content, be more happy, joyful. Um, and this one's about, it's called Finish First. Um, winning changes everything. And, you know, my life um, when I was underperforming was much different than what my life became when I decided to, um, do everything I could to be a winner, be successful. And so, you know, my background, my health history, everything else out there just, you know, kind of goes against, you know, what you'd think, you know, would be a recipe for um, success. And I figure I'm, I, there's a lot of people like me out there, you know, where the odds are totally against them. Yes. Or they just feel like, you know, they don't know where to start. And so um, my friend uh, Don Miller, you know, gave me this idea to, to do this book called Finish First. And it's all about changing the uh, societal kind of um, norm of, you know, you don't you have participation trophies. We're just, we're not going to keep score because we don't want anybody to get hurt. And, and it's an argument for <clears throat> and a path to um, victory. And, uh, you know, it's just really important now when I see my kids and they're, you know, kind of shielded from harm, you know, how do you give people hope? Well, you, you tell them that you, you care about them, and you tell them that, um, you know, I have information that might help you, and, and then you hold kind of a, um, a, an intervention housed in, you know, a couple hundred pages, <laughs> you know? And yes. So I just want to give people hope, you know, whether they're going through cancer or they're struggling in life or whatever, hope. Hope is a very powerful word. And in a news cycle that focuses only on what's busted, it's a word that isn't used or lived out nearly frequently enough. And I so appreciate you spending some time celebrating the hope that you found alive and well in your life, Scott. So we're, we're going to shift gears into what we call the Live Inspired 7. Every single guest that we've had on the Live Inspired show before you, Scott, has answered these seven questions safely. So this is a safe place to go. Oh, I'm going to fail another test. No, okay. man, you're going to you're going to land the uh, the double <laughs> the double pike. Here we go. The what what is the best book you've ever read? You know, besides, of course, finish first. What's the best book you've ever read? You know, every time I open the Bible, I find more stuff in there that just astound me, and I can read the same scripture. Um, you know, last year I read it this year, and it's a whole di- has a different identity to me. So I would put that one first. I haven't finished it yet. I keep working on it, but right. you know, it's kind of a big, big, big project. Right. You know, as far as pure entertainment, um, the Born Identity um, was a book. I remember I just couldn't put it down. I read it read it in one sitting because it was just excitement from mm-hmm. start to finish. Um, I love the Born Identity book. I think they. The movies, they did the best job they could, but, man, it's too much. sometimes right. it's really hard to make a book into a movie. Um, but, yeah, those two. Tomorrow, you discover that your wealthy uncle has shockingly died at 103 
leaving you with millions. Mm-hmm. Scott Hamilton, what would you do with that newfound wealth? I'd pay off all my debt and then give the rest away. <laughs> if you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach on a gorgeous afternoon and have a long conversation with anyone, who would you want to be sitting on that bench next to? I have four kids, my wife. My goodness, we had, when was the last time we had an uninterrupted conversation? You know, there's a lot of people. I mean, I know what you're saying. No, I love it. Um, there's a lot of people, you oh. know, um, my goodness, uh, there's so many, whether it be um, from um, the faith world or business world or um, people that inspire. Um, you know, I, I just really would love to just be uninterrupted. Mm. <laughs> Well, you know, I think the first visit goes to your four babies and your bride. I think that's exactly who you should be seated next to. What's the best advice that you've ever received? This too shall pass. Hmm. Um, You know, good and bad. You know, when I I won the Olympics in 84, I met with Governor Richard Lamb from Colorado, and he just wanted to tell me about the hometown hero syndrome, you know, that we all get caught up in this moment, think it's going to last forever. And he gave me some really important advice, just saying enjoy every aspect of what you've worked so hard to achieve but with the true understanding that it's finite. And then um, the other, this too shall pass, is knowing when I'm, you know, stuck in a hallway out of brain surgery and I'm crashing off the um, anesthesia and there's, the elevators are broken, I can't get up to ICU. Um, and when you crash off anesthesia, you've never been that cold in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, I just sat back and I just repeated, this too shall pass, this too shall pass. So knowing that life is fluid and that um, nothing today will be the same tomorrow. And, um, you know, whatever we do, we just got to keep moving forward, never looking back. Scott, the, um, the only other guest that I've had on whose favorite advice is that is my other favorite guest. And her name is Susan. Her last name's O'Leary. She's my mom. She was our first <laughs> guest, and she loves the expression, the prayer, really. This too shall pass. Yeah. Whether it's and a-, a lot of people think they're stuck. No. You know, if they, you know, whether it be, you know, they don't like, you know, um, what's going on with our government. Well, this too shall pass. Yes. yes. Uh, if they don't like, you know, where they are physically, well, this too shall pass. You know, I mean, it's it's... Whatever today is, it doesn't, you know, have to remain. You know, a lot of things about today, we like to just stop time. You know, mm-hmm. I got a nine-year-old son who just, I love this age, but he's going to pretty, you know, he's going to become a tween and a teen. And, you know, I just got to take advantage of this time right now. But, um, man, um, I love your mom for that because <laughs> it's so wise. And I had to learn it the hard way. <laughs> yeah, we all do. Yeah. What, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? That's a pretty pivotal time in your life. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you're doing, stop. <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, use your head. Just use your head. No, honestly, when I was 20, I was, um, I kind of did a reset. I moved to Philadelphia to take from a new coach, and I made it to the you know, Olympics. Um, so at 20 years old, I was kind of doing good stuff. I, I, I was doing stuff that I, I don't know if I can totally give myself credit for it, but using all the information that was in front of me, I knew that um, now is the time I needed to get up and change mm. what the way I was living and do something more focused and positive. Brother, you have almost made it. Uh, question number seven, Scott Hamilton, it has been said that all great people, and we have one on our show today, 
can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? Um, here's a guy who failed miserably, figured out a way to understand his blessings, got up constantly, and um, was always in search for a brighter day, all the while knowing he was blessed. That's a run-on sentence, by the way. Oh, man, that's... I've been blessed beyond my wildest dreams, and I've had childhood illness for four years out of the hospitals, cancer, chemo, radiation, surgery, three brain tumors, and I wouldn't change a day of it. I'm the most blessed person I know. Scott Hamilton, you are a man who apparently, I don't believe it, though, failed miserably. You have indeed figured out a way to understand your blessings. You have absolutely gotten up repeatedly. And all the while, you have not only known how blessed you are, but through this time and through your skating, through your broadcasting, through your life, you've inspired that same kind of hope in us. Scott, it has been such a treat having you on our show. Well, thank you so much. And um, I just appreciate your time. And, you know, I'm a figure skater, so shameless plugs are always a big <laughs> part of our everyday life. So, the, you know, um, finish first, winning changes everything, comes out tomorrow. Um, I hope everybody picks it up, gives it to their kids. If you're in business, it's a, you know, it's a, it's got many applications, but the main thing is, is it's, you know, time to, as a society, we need to wake up, understand that failure is important and, uh, we got to edit our critics. We've got a lot of different things, but I really hope that, um, this book, um, that I've worked on, it's not a huge book. It's not Atlas Shrugged, but it, it's a book that, you know, really is very pointed and will hopefully help somebody get back on track because failure is temporary. Mm. Um, and, and success is honestly uh, lasts a lot longer than failure does. So let's power through and um, let's do the right things and, and set ourselves up for a brighter day tomorrow than the ones we're living today. Well, my friends, over this weekend, you can rest assured that I will have a copy of Finish First in my lap, uh, maybe a glass of wine on the table. The Olympics will be on the television. Scott Hamilton's encouragement will be on my heart. And I hope that you enjoyed this time with him as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. So, my friends, that was Scott Hamilton. This is John O'Leary, and today is your day. Finish first and live inspired.